Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. It is so great to be with you on this Tuesday. I am so sorry I have been gone. I unexpectedly, as you may be able to hear my voice, got aggressively sick over the weekend. I sent out to the members a Patreon post about that. Unfortunately, I don't have an easy way to notify podcast listeners directly where you listen when a show is going to be canceled, but I'm back now. Glad to be. Uh, I've done everything possible medicine-wise and other strategies-wise to make my voice sound as normal as possible, but apologies if it does sound a little bit strange trying to hold in the coughs and the sniffles, as you can imagine. But miss some days, so I put together a jam-packed show for you. Let's dive in. Something I wanted to talk about from the end of last week was two nearly simultaneous wins for abortion rights in two red states. Uh, abortion bans in states of Nebraska and South Carolina both failed, with Republican lawmakers joining Democratic lawmakers in both states to block them. Here's this uh, being reported on CNN, and then we'll discuss. New overnight, legislatures in two very red states failed to advance restrictive abortion bills just within hours of one another. It was conservative dissenters actually in South Carolina and Nebraska who helped block those bills. Take a look at this. Both state bodies are dominated by Republicans, as you can very clearly see here, by a two to one ratio. Both went for Trump by about 10 points in the 2020 election. But take a closer look at Nebraska. A state senator there posted this video after that six week abortion ban in the state failed by a single vote after one of her Republican colleagues abstained from voting. He had raised concerns about the ban being too early for women to know that they're pregnant. And he warned fellow Republicans about potential political backlash over abortion bans. In South Carolina, where we've heard from lawmakers like Nancy Mace, concerns about what O's abortion bills could do to Republicans' chances in 2024, there, the state's five female senators filibustered on Wednesday against the bill that would have banned nearly all abortion. New and then just a little bit more reporting on this. This is from ABC News. Abortion bans in Nebraska and South Carolina fell short of advancing in close votes amid heated debates among Republicans, confounding conservatives who have dominated both legislatures and further exposing the chasm on the issue of abortion within the GOP. In Nebraska, where abortions banned after 20 weeks of pregnancy, an effort to ban abortion at about the sixth week of pregnancy fell one vote short of breaking a filibuster. In South Carolina, lawmakers voted 22 to 21 to shelve a near total abortion ban for the rest of the year. Republican Senator Sandy Sin criticized Majority Leader Shane Massey for repeatedly taking us off a cliff on abortion. So this is good uh, for the people in both these states, of course. It's also super interesting, though, for what it means about the political reality of abortion rights. And seemingly, even some elected Republicans are starting to recognize this. It's something we've been uh, watching super closely since the overturning of Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs decision, the way in which people are making their voice heard on this issue in favor of abortion rights in previous situations, such as Kansas, through direct ballot initiatives, but here through their elected representatives. Uh, here was South Carolina Republican State Senator Sandy Sin discussing her reasoning for joining Democrats in uh, voting down the near total abortion ban in South Carolina. I'm not going to vote in a way that's going to oppress women simply because the party might want me to pander to them. Um, the people that came up with the 
you know, the platform. These are just the people that go to these events like year after year after year. And this is both sides. So you've got hard right, hard left people who come up with these, um, the, you know, the party platforms. And you're not going to I'm not going to agree with everything on the party platform, this being one of them. And I think that this is an issue, really, that the people in my area are sick of. It has been polled. My Even my leader has polled it. Uh, 70 percent of Republican voters in my area would agree with me. And I stand at first trimester, um, you know, so I'm not ridiculous either way. Uh, zero or full out, you know, until you get birth. But you can't get we couldn't get our five Supreme Court justices to agree. They all wrote separate opinions. Mm. You're not ever going to be able to get the full legislature to agree. So it needs to go on a ballot. And they refuse because they know they will lose. Mm. So you can hear her. Uh, they're recognizing that even moderates and many Republicans don't support the radical proposals being put forward by Republican lawmakers. Unfortunately, especially because of trigger laws that were put in place, that being laws passed before Dobbs that said, if Roe v. Wade is ever overturned, a ban will automatically be put into place. So unfortunately, we have seen bans implemented in states across the country. And for example, uh, recently, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signing a six-week abortion ban into law. But in multiple situations where we're able to see the political effect of abortion rights, it has shown America as a whole, the actual voters are motivated and passionate about protecting a woman's right to choose. That had an impact in the midterms, in direct ballot initiatives we've seen, and uh, also in polling. Here from PBS, uh, PBS News, support for abortion rights overall has increased as state legislatures and courtrooms have instituted a growing number of restrictions and bans, according to the latest PBS NewsHour NPR marriage poll. 61% of the U.S. adults say they support abortion rights, marking a 6 percentage point increase since last June. So the fact that Republicans are still pushing with these, um, pushing forward, I should say, with these bans, in some cases successfully, in some cases, as we saw there, unsuccessfully, I think is going to make it a key issue in 2024. And because we've seen not only this issue be something in polls that people side with Democrats on, but it also is a motivator for turning out voters. Again, direct ballot initiatives, uh, the midterms, the Wisconsin Supreme Court election results. It really could change the 2024 landscape in favor of Democrats. We will, of course, see how it all plays out in the future. Hopefully, though, we will see a resounding and clear message sent for abortion rights in the next election. I want to take a look at uh, an interview that occurred on CNN with Republican Representative Tim Burchett, who got a lot of a, uh, a lot of national attention recently after delivering a truly stunning response to a mass shooting in his state. After the mass shooting in Nashville, uh, Tennessee, Tim Burchett was asked, what should Congress do? And essentially said nothing. Congress isn't going to be able to fix the problem. You'll see the exact moment I'm referencing played during this interview clip. But uh, Republican Representative Tim Burchett appeared on CNN recently in the wake of yet another devastating mass shooting in Texas and got asked about his statement that he had made. And he doubled down. He doubled down. Truly, truly horrifying. Take a look at this. Well, let me ask you on another topic. We had this another we had another horrific mass shooting down in Texas, as you know, five people killed after they asked their neighbor to quit shooting guns in his front yard. Uh, let's listen to something that you said after the mass shooting in Nashville. And we'll talk about it. We've got evil in this country and 
everybody just needs to tone down the rhetoric a little bit because all that does is gin it up in both sides and then they point the finger and nothing happens because nothing if you think washington's going to fix this problem you're wrong they're not going to fix this problem they are the problem it doesn't concern you that other countries don't have this level of gun other countries don't have our freedom either uh it's the united states of america my father fought for this country my mama flew an airplane my mama lost a brother fighting the nazis dad fought the japanese we've got incredible freedom in this country and when people abuse that freedom that's what happens congressman getting back to when you were saying that washington's not going to fix this a lot of people listen at home to that and i mean you, you like to speak uh, you know plain english to folks a lot of people listen to what you just said and said wait a minute it is your job to fix this and it's unacceptable to have mass shooting after mass shooting after mass shooting why not fix this get together get together uh, with the democrats and get it done well it, it happens a lot jim the um that was cut off a little bit i I was probably speaking more from a Christian perspective. I also went on and said, we need real revival in this country. We've, uh, I feel like we've, we've turned from the Lord. And I know that maybe makes people's heads spin off sometimes when they hear somebody like that, me say that, but um, it's just the, the, the well, lady, there's Christianity in other countries and they don't have mass shootings. Well, they don't have our freedom either. They don't have a second amendment that, that, and also the, um, you know, you want to, what happens what about is that point? Say, well, that take away it, the... But what about that point that you should be the ones to fix it, to say, well, we, we're not going to fix anything here in Washington. Well, it, That's she, your job. Okay. She she broke over 20 laws. What law are you going to do? You know, now you have people that can print guns. Uh... <laughs> As if your average American has access to a 3D printer that can print guns. But... <sighs> holding in my rage let's walk through this first of all saying this is all because we've turned away from god and we need to have a christian revival makes no sense when we have a higher rate of christianity in this country compared to countless other countries that don't see the same gun violence so that can't be it next thing to say ah congress shouldn't try to address the problem is maybe one of the most sickening things to hear from an elected official of a country that experiences a problem uniquely bad compared to every other country in that country because clearly this isn't an unsolvable problem. Elected officials, just like yourself, Tim Burchett, have figured out how to decrease gun violence in every other developed country. So clearly, it's possible you are just choosing not to take action. And then to his main point, oh, well, that's because other countries don't have the freedom that we do. Okay, so you're admitting then that common sense gun control would decrease gun violence because we have been hearing for so long from anti-gun control advocates that no, 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 it's not that we don't want people to be safer. It's that we think more guns that are unregulated doesn't make people safer. But here, when asked, why do we see so much more gun violence than all these other countries? He says, because they don't have the freedom that we do. So Tim Burchett thinks then that it's the freedom that we have with his incorrect interpretation of the Second Amendment that is to blame for our gun violence. Okay, great. So stop saying you think a massively oversaturated and unregulated gun market is how we make people safe. Just say you think it's more important to protect your incorrect, distorted, irrational interpretation of the Second Amendment than the lives of our children and of people of all ages. Just say that. And by the way, this branding of the Second Amendment and of freedom has not always been universally adopted by conservatives. What I'm about to show you is the former conservative chief justice of the Supreme Court, who, number one, was conservative, and number two, was a Supreme Court justice whose job, ideally, is to accurately interpret the Constitution, saying what you're about to see about 
the Second Amendment. Last week, if I were writing the Bill of Rights now, there wouldn't be any such thing as the Second Amendment. Which says? That uh, a well-regulated militia being necessary for the defense of the state, the people's rights to bear arms. This has been the subject of one of the greatest pieces of fraud. I repeat the word fraud on the American public by special interest groups that I have ever seen in my lifetime. Now just look at those words. There are only three lines to that amendment. A well-regulated militia. If the militia, which was going to be the state army, was going to be well-regulated, why shouldn't 16 and 17 and 18 or any other age persons be regulated in the use of arms the way an automobile is regulated? Last week. So a conservative chief justice, uh, and that's Warren Burger, by the way, says the greatest piece of fraud on the American public, not the Second Amendment, but the manipulation of the intention of it to benefit gun manufacturers, has been a fraud on the American public. As I said when I covered the original clip of Tim Burchett responding to the Nashville mass shooting, if you don't have an interest in addressing the problems that face Americans, then get out of Congress. If your answer to a question about working on behalf of the American people to protect their lives is, and eh, no, I don't think we can do anything on that, then resign, resign. That's your job. That is what our elected leaders are supposed to be doing every single day. Let me know what you think of all this on Twitter, Luke P. Beasley. We continue to follow the clash between Republicans and Democrats over the debt ceiling. And I have a moment here for you of Democratic House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries calling the GOP plan that they passed last week for raising the debt ceiling a, quote, ransom note. Before we take a look at that moment, though, uh, let me do what I didn't have a chance to do last week and quickly summarize what this Republican plan is putting forward. This is what they're threatening to devastate the economy over. So last week, Republicans passed a bill called the Limit, Save, Grow Act. What this would do if it became a law is, yes, raise the debt ceiling, but other things are attached as well. So instead of raising the debt ceiling by itself, which would allow the U.S. government to continue paying its bills, it would do so along with other actions, including spending cuts, which, of course, are the main priority for Republicans. Those other items include returning discretionary spending for 2024 to 2022 levels. And because Republicans have said those budget cuts can't come from defense, that's where the calculations we've received from Democrats have been derived, raising alarm about the cuts to veterans benefits, programs that provide support to low-income families, etc. It also eliminates Biden's student debt forgiveness plan, repeals aspects of the incredibly impactful and important Inflation Reduction Act, including the additional funding to the IRS, which enables the IRS to go after wealthy tax cheats. Yet another example, of course, of Republicans attempting to put more wealth into the hands of the wealthy. Why wouldn't, just to hold on that for a second, why wouldn't we want to get taxes from individuals who are cheating out of their taxes, meaning we should be getting that tax revenue, and they happen to be wealthy so they can afford to pay the amount they're obligated to? And by the way, the government will make more money back from uh, recovered tax revenue than the extra funding amounted to. But Republicans want to repeal that and in effect lose the government money. The plan reallocates also COVID relief money, changes the SNAP or food stamps work requirement age from 50 to 56, which would kick countless low-income people off of SNAP, essentially preventing them from being able to buy as many groceries as they need. It would add work requirements to Medicaid, preventing hundreds of thousands of people from receiving necessary health insurance. And oh, by the way, it prevents Biden from limiting consumer access to gas stoves 
to play into the culture war fear-mongering obsession they have on that. So I likely miss some stuff, but that gives you a sense. And uh, here is House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. House Democrats worked with former President Trump three times to make sure we avoided a default and raised the debt ceiling. Without partisanship, without showmanship, without gamesmanship. And that's what the extreme MAGA Republicans should be doing right now. And as we've indicated, we will have a conversation with House Republicans about the budget, about future spending priorities, about which type of investment should be made to continue to have a strong and robust American economy into the future. We are willing to have that conversation. President Biden has produced a budget. House Republicans produced a ransom note. That is what the Default on America Act is, and that is wildly irresponsible. A ransom note, I think, is a good way to describe it. And this is from The Hill reporting on multiple entities warning shortly before the bill is actually passed on the devastating impact um, of if they were to be implemented, these spending cuts. Agencies across the government are sounding the alarm over the potential impact of steep spending cuts included in a Republican-backed proposal. Officials from nearly 20 agencies, including from Department of State, Treasury, Housing and Urban Development, Education and Veterans Affairs, as well as the Social Security Administration, wrote letters over the past several weeks warning of what a return to 2022 spending levels would mean for their offices next year. And then it dives into the specifics, but we'll stop there. And then I also want to circle back to two aspects of this that cannot be ignored. Raising the work requirement age for SNAP benefits and adding work requirements for Medicaid would be devastating to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Americans. It's been researched plenty and adding those requirements is not an effective way to get people back to work who could be working, but it is an effective way to kick countless people off of their necessary health insurance plan and prevent, uh, prevent them from having subsidized food. Plus, when this has been tried in states, often the individuals who are exempt from working because they aren't able-bodied, for example, have a hard time filling out the proper paperwork uh, to exempt themselves from the work requirement and thus get kicked off the program anyways. That's what Republicans want to crash the economy or are threatening to crash the economy over. Taking food and health care out of the hands of the poorest Americans. Truly absurd. Another thing on this, during a recent segment relating to the debt ceiling, I summarized why the phrase Republicans are threatening to devastate the economy over this plan is a correct statement by explaining the reality of the debt ceiling. And I had a few of you uh, reach out and say that was helpful because we talk a lot about these subjects, but too often forget to ever go back and break down some of the foundational facts about them that are crucial to understand kind of the day-to-day -day politics of it. So in case you missed uh, that segment, to quickly summarize again, in 1917, Congress implemented, which Remember that this isn't something that has to be in place. We could remove the debt ceiling altogether. Uh, but in 1917, Congress implemented a limit to how much the federal government could borrow, how much debt could be acquired. So now every time we get to that limit, Congress has to vote to raise it. What this means is if Congress were to say, no, we aren't raising it, then the U.S. government wouldn't be able to borrow more money to continue fulfilling its financial obligations. As Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said, that means Social Security and Medicare benefits, military salaries interest on the national debt, tax refunds, and other payments would not be able to be paid out. That would be disastrous. As I said previously in that past segment, if you are concerned about the amount the U.S. government is borrowing, 
then that should be fought for when the government is making taxing and spending decisions, not when it's time to pay the bills. Because in a situation where we default on our debt, we wouldn't be able to pay back debt that is owed, including paying back bondholders. So then this would obviously discourage future investments into government securities. The United States must follow through on our financial obligations. So for the Republican Party to be threatening our ability to do so just so they can get some dream spending cuts is absurd and highlights the irresponsible governance that is a characteristic of this modern Republican Party. And as a reminder, aside from the responsibility point, the hypocrisy is also unbearable. The reason we're having to raise the debt ceiling right now is in large part because of spending done under the Trump administration. And under the Trump uh, administration, Republicans were happy to raise the debt ceiling three times without conditions. So now it's this big political tool. Very enraging and hypocritical. Donald Trump delivered another one of his truth social diatribes, and I want to walk through it with you now. These are short video speeches, I guess, or remarks that he posts on various subjects at various times, always unhinged, always very far from anything resembling the truth, and today is no exception. This one is him hilariously attempting to project his wrongdoing onto Biden, saying that the investigation into his mishandling of classified documents and obstruction during that process is nothing. He did nothing. But Biden actually obstructed, which is quite the masterful way, I guess, to portray yourself as innocent. Just say, no, he did it. <laughs> um, in reality, Biden did indeed mishandle classified documents, it seems. That's being investigated. But upon discovering them, he immediately and voluntarily turned them over to federal authorities. Whereas with Trump, he refused to turn the documents over for months and had his lawyers lie to federal authorities on sworn statements saying they didn't have the documents when they did and didn't turn over the documents until they were involuntarily taken through a raid by the FBI. Equating the two situations at all is rather disingenuous, but that's what Trump's going to try to do in this rather detached from reality um, rant. Take a look. Absolutely true. Biden is guilty of obstruction. Okay, sorry, we just started, but if Trump has to start with, this is absolutely true, you know it's going to be wild. Absolutely true. Biden is guilty of obstruction. 1,850 boxes unchecked, many found in Chinatown, heavy on classified documents. He has been totally uncooperative, won't show the documents under any circumstances, and is fighting like hell. I very simply went by the Presidential Records Act. Very importantly, it was designed and written for this purpose. Have a right to declassify and did absolutely nothing wrong, but was purposely given by the DOJ and Biden, a Trump-hating prosecutor, Jack Smith. He's a Trump-hater. His wife's a Trump-hater. His family's a Trump-hater. They all hate Trump. They hate him with a passion. They'll do anything they can. Why is he talking in the third, <laughs> the third person like that? To hurt Trump. But he's a harasser and an abuser of our people in order to obstruct and interfere with the 2020 presidential election. That's why they're doing it. We're leading by a lot in the polls. If I weren't, I believe it would all stop. Or if I weren't running, I believe it would all stop immediately. But that's not going to happen. The public will not stand for this unequal treatment. Joe Biden is guilty. I am not at all. Thank you very much. The words of an innocent man. Um, wow. So he is projecting, 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 and lying. Now accusing Biden of obstruction. 
this is an obvious recognition on his part of what makes his case more severe than Biden's. That's why he's trying to throw it um, as an accusation Biden's way, because Trump was the one who had his lawyers lie to authorities and say they didn't have any more classified documents when they did. He was the one who for months and months refused to comply while Biden immediately turned his documents over and has been complying with the entire process despite Trump in the video we just watched bizarrely fabricating facts to say otherwise. And importantly, Biden is being investigated for his documents situation. Overwhelmingly, I've seen almost entirely everyone I'm aware of the sentiment on the left being hey, investigate Biden's mishandling of classified documents. If there's wrongdoing there, hold him accountable legally. Also investigate Trump and do the same. Don't falsely equivocate and don't distort the facts. But yeah, investigate them both. Both Trump and MAGA's answer, though, is lock Biden up for something that is far less severe than what dear leader Trump did and don't hold Trump accountable. He's totally innocent. Hmm. Something strange about that. The other thing he said there was once again pushing the idea that the federal investigation into him by Jack Smith is election interference. It's something we've heard from him uh, multiple times now, and it's really dangerous, trying to frame all of these investigations into him as another stealing of the election, this time the 2024 election. In 2020, he lost and told everyone it was the being massive dumps of ballots and dead voters and the Dominion voting systems. And in 2024, if he loses, he will likely say all of that, maybe come up with some new... Uh, tales and also add that the democrats coordinated a bunch of investigations to steal the election from him and it's really dangerous because truly no matter how much evidence is provided no matter what comes out of the investigatory process or the prosecution his followers would just believe uh will just believe it was all the democrats framing him and now the larger the stack of his legal troubles get, seemingly the more their belief on this is confirmed. Instead of looking at all these investigations federally in Georgia and Manhattan and thinking, hmm, maybe he's just been involved in a lot of illegal wrongdoing. They'll instead think, ah, see, this is, this is what Trump warned us about. This is the election interference that we were prepared for. It's really unfortunate. And he's setting up a dangerous situation if he loses in 2024 because we've seen what lies, uh, lies like this can produce. Make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel. Donald Trump did a press conference after his New Hampshire speech that went horribly wrong with him saying something super dangerous. Uh, I meant to talk about this earlier, but it's important, so we're going to get to it today. He gets asked about January 6th and the fact that a lot of people, a lot of voters are still upset about that day, what it represented, and want an assurance that Trump won't provoke something like that in the future. And his response wasn't surprising considering the context of who he is, but was chilling and concerning. Here's this. I talked to a lot of those voters. A lot of them were still upset about what happened on January 6th, 2021. To what extent can you provide assurances that something like that is never going to happen again? Well, it wasn't my fault. And this was a lot of people that thought the election was rigged and stolen. A lot of people uh, still feel that, as you know. You saw the audience tonight. This was a packed house. You could have sold it out four times. We have more to get to uh, from this press conference, but first to respond to that, his answer to a question about preventing a future January 6th-like scenario is him retelling the lie that caused January 6th. It's not surprising. Of course, that's what he's going to do, but it's still shocking in a sense. It's him conveying the message that if he loses in 2024, we can all predict what he's going to say. He's going to lie about the election results, and then we'll see what that causes. He's learned nothing, and he doesn't care at all about the reality that he's setting up for the future. Nothing, by the way, highlights the dangerous, narcissistic, and self-centered characteristic exemplified by Trump more than the way he has managed the 2020 election as a whole. 
think about that. How self-centered would you have to be to respond to a loss in, a, in an election, which countless people have experienced by creating an entire lie about the election based on no evidence, convincing a majority of Republicans to believe it, driving them mad with rage because of the lie, so much so that we get a moment like January 6th. You watch that play out and don't have a second of regret. I want to remind you that before January 6th, Trump's team Trump's team paid researchers to try to find widespread voter fraud in the states they were making that claim about. The researchers came back to Trump and said they weren't able to find it. The election was free and fair. His own people told him that, but still he continued forward with his lies to this day. And now, because the only person he cares about in this world is himself, he is willing to take down our democracy with them. They're not giving any assurances that he won't motivate his followers into violence again, in the future and continues to lie about the election. And as I've said before, and I will say again, you can't have a functioning democracy indefinitely with a majority of one of the party's voters, voters believing the only way an election can be fair is if their candidate wins. You have to have some level of buy-in to the process and belief in the legitimacy of the results for it all to continue working. And especially it can't function. It can't continue to function when you have an elected leader or elected leaders attempting coups to keep himself in power as Trump did in 2020. But all of that danger doesn't matter to Trump because he would rather feel better about himself and not have to accept that he lost to Joe Biden. Next moment about Mike Pence testifying in the federal probe into Trump. Reports this afternoon that Vice President Pence testified before a grand jury regarding what happened between November 2020 and January 2021. Are you worried at all about what he might say? No, I'm not worried at all. I wish he would have sent it back to the legislators. If he did that, I think he would have had a different result. Uh, obviously, he had the right to do it because they changed the law right after the election. Uh, they were all saying that he had no choice. He had to do what he did. Uh, and it turned out they did have a choice because that's why they changed the law, which is too bad. No, I just want Mike to be truthful. We had a very good relationship during our time together. So, no, of course, Mike Pence did not have the power to reject the election results. What would be the point of a national election if one person could just deny the results and declare the favorite, uh, their favorite candidate the winner? The reason Congress passed an additional law was simply to further implement guardrails so that wackos like yourself, Trump, would have a harder time attempting coups in the future. But the obvious intention of the Constitution was not to have the vice president get to choose whether or not a presidential election is valid. That doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, last moment we'll look at, he gets asked about a national abortion ban and says this. We'll get something done where everyone is going to be very satisfied. I believe that. On the national level and national level? I think we'll get it done in, on some level. It, it could be on different levels, but we're going to get it done. I know the issue very well. I think I know the issue better than most, and we will get that taken care of. I don't know if it's because I'm sick today, but that annoyed me so much. That just oh, irked me. What on earth was that answer? I even wrote it down for us so that we can try to dissect what he just said. We'll get something done where everyone's going to be very satisfied. I believe that. Okay, so far, I don't know what that means. So you'll get a national abortion ban done. And then the uh, reporter says on the national level, and he says, I think we'll get it done on some level. It could be on different levels, but we're going to get it done. I know the issue very well. I think I know the issue better than most, and we will get that taken care of. Get what? You haven't outlined what you're getting taken care of. Okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Calm down. So incoherent. Why do politicians, especially Trump, uh, but a lot of politicians, get to say so much without saying absolutely anything at all? Because 
that was nothing. That was just mumbo jumbo. But it does seem like he's showing some support for a national abortion ban, saying we'll get something done when asked about it. So if that's what he's saying, that's disastrous for the Republican Party, because we've seen, as we talked about earlier in today's show, abortion rights as a campaign issue be very beneficial for Democrats. So with Trump posing a threat to the future of abortion rights and being responsible for the Supreme Court justices that allowed the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade, I think Biden can very effectively motivate voters on that issue. There are some massive updates in regard to the E. Jean Carroll Trump defamation and rape civil trial that's going on in New York that I want to update you on. Uh, today in court has been a huge day, and so that's what I want to focus in on for this segment. In case you haven't been keeping up with the trial, though, to quickly summarize what the last few days have held. E. Jean Carroll has been on the stand providing her testimony about what she's alleging happened. And as a reminder as to what this case is all about, this is from ABC News. Carroll, who brought the lawsuit in November, alleges that Trump defamed her in a 2022 true social post by calling her allegations a hoax and a lie and saying, this woman is not my type, which is just him saying what, that he would rape someone who is his type? disgusting, when he denied her claim that Trump raped her in a Bergdorf Goodman department store dressing room in the 1990s. She added a charge of battery under a recently adopted New York law that allows adult survivors of sexual abuse to sue their alleged attacker regardless of the statute of limitations. Trump has denied all allegations that he raped Carol or defamed her. It's important to uh, emphasize it's a civil trial, not a criminal trial, so Trump couldn't be arrested because of this, but may have to pay out money to E. Jean Carroll. It does also mean, though, the jury doesn't have to find him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. They just have to find it based on the evidence more likely that he did what he's being accused of than not. And he's being accused of, as was mentioned in that article, approaching E. Jean Carroll uh, in a Bergdorf Goodman department store in the 1990s, starting a conversation that initially was normal and pleasant. They recognize each other and then going into a dressing room and violently raping her. So that was outlined by E. Jean Carroll last week. She was cross-examined by Trump's lawyer, Joe Takapina, about the specifics of her accusation. The overall defense strategy was trying to poke any possible holes in the story, grilling her on specifics, such as why didn't she scream during the assault and why didn't she call the police afterwards, which I felt based on everything I've read on these back and forths, she pretty much had solid answers for those questions from Joe Takapina, especially if you understand the reality of sexual assault scenarios. It's really easy to imagine why someone who uh, is in that situation would freeze and not scream or call the police during and after such a horrifying event. So that was much of last week into this week. He did exchanges at times between Trump's lawyer and E. Jean Carroll about the specifics of her accusation. A reminder, this is not uh, just a defamation case anymore. It's also a civil suit over sexual battery. Well, today... A friend who claims E. Jean Carroll called her right after the alleged event took the stand and supported Carroll's telling of the event. This is huge. To have this type of corroboration is very impactful. Uh, here from Business Insider, a close friend to E. Jean Carroll testified Tuesday that the writer had called her five to seven minutes after she left a Bergdorf Goodman's dressing room where she said Donald Trump raped her in the 1990s. From the witness stand in Manhattan Federal Court at a uh, the trial against the former president, Lisa Birnbach, who is a writer herself and best known for penning the official preppy handbook, said that Carol told her on the call that she ran into Trump at the luxury department store. Carol told Birnbach she was helping him shop for a friend when he led her to a dressing room, pinned her against the wall, and penetrated her with his penis, she testified. 
Birnbach said she was feeding her uh, two young children dinner at the time and walked out of the room to speak further with Carol. Quote, I whispered, Eugene, he raped you, Birnbach recalled on the stand. She said that Carol didn't use the term rape at all during the call, instead described it as a fight. Birnbach said she encouraged Carol to go to the police, but Carol was adamant she didn't want to report the alleged incident. Carol was hyperventilating and appeared to be still processing while recalling the alleged rape. Birnbach said, um, and then it continues, Carol didn't want to go to the police and was just horrified by it all. Um, of course, afraid of someone as powerful as Trump and made Birnbach promise she wouldn't tell anyone. Um, and apparently I've heard about a second friend who was also told about this event way back when and might take the stand as well, which is pretty devastating for Trump's defense because not that it's impossible, but it's a lot harder to conceive of for a jury, three separate people all committing perjury to frame Trump rather than just one person or even two people as um, is present now. And then the other thing that happened in court today was a second woman who is alleging uh, that Trump groped her, took the stand to establish that this is a pattern for Trump. This is from ABC News. A businesswoman testified Tuesday in E. Jean Carroll's civil defamation and battery case against former President Donald Trump that Trump had groped her during a flight to New York in 1979. And what Carroll's attorney said showed a pattern of behavior on Trump's part. So in one day, you have both someone saying decades ago, they were called by aging e. Carol and told exactly what she's now alleging today. And someone else saying he also groped her in developing, as the article noted, that pattern. That is really devastating for Trump. Uh, we'll see how Trump's legal team responds during the cross-examination, but pretty stunning stuff. And this is a massive case, a civil trial relating to the alleged rape of someone by a former president and current presidential candidate. I will say, by the way, I think a lot of you guys or a lot of you all will uh, relate to this, it's pretty hard not to have echoing in my head during this whole process, the Access Hollywood tapes. Trump saying, in those tapes, he just grabs women by the genitals. And then this is going on. That was brought up, by the way, um, by E. Jean Carroll's attorney. And it definitely doesn't help Trump's case at all. I'll continue to follow this story. Video has been obtained by Media Matters from Tucker Carlson's time at Fox News, specifically a video from behind the scenes when he wasn't live. And this is all coming out today. So I want to walk you through what we've seen uh, so far. And I'm sure just my senses, more will be released in the coming days. And so I'll continue to cover it. And I don't really have a lot of commentary to add. It's just mostly interesting. Uh, and at some points, ugh. so most of this segment, unlike others, will just be us kind of watching together, which is especially nice today because of the state of my voice with my sickness. I am losing it rapidly. Uh, starting off with him in the buildup to an interview he did with Andrew Tate, the I'm an alpha male influencer guy who's currently, by the way, on house arrest and being investigated for rape and sex trafficking. Uh, Tucker was talking with someone representing Andrew Tate, it appears, and starts trash talking Fox Nation, which is Fox News' online streaming service, uh, where a lot of the interview with Andrew Tate was going to air. Uh, here is this. I, I don't want to be a slave to Fox Nation, which I don't think that many people watch anyway. Um, we're gonna, uh, because I, 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 you know, I'm like a representative of the American media now. Speaking to an exile in Romania and welcoming him back into the brotherhood of journalists. Yeah. Ugh. It would help us out if you wore a sweater, though, because we asked him not to wear a suit. Like, he was panicking about it and said, you don't have to. 
Tucker's going to be looking uh, casual. That's just how our show looks. Is that okay? I mean, this is airing on the nighttime show, and I want it to look official. So right now they're arguing over what Andrew Tate should wear and what Tucker should wear. So I don't want it to be like bro talk. And I, and I, you know what I mean? Yeah, but the majority of it, like if we go like 45 minutes, it's going to be for Fox Nation. But nobody's going to watch it on Fox Nation. Nobody watches Fox Nation because the site sucks. So I'd really like to just put the dump the whole thing on YouTube. Um, but anyway, that's just my view. Um, uh, I'm just frustrated with the, in, it, it's hard to use that site. I don't know why they're not fixing it. It's driving me insane. And they're like making like lifetime movies, but they don't, they don't work on the infrastructure of the site. Like what? It's crazy. And it drives me crazy because it's like we're doing all this extra work and no one can find it. It's unbelievable, actually. I don't know who runs that site. We're going to play a sizable chunk on the show tomorrow night. That's the plan. And then what it's going to do is drive a lot of people to watch this on Fox Nation. It's going to be a great help to what we're doing over there on TV today. I know, but we're doing our part. We're like working like animals to produce all this content. And the people in charge of it whoever that guy's, whatever his name is, like they're ignoring the fact that the site doesn't work. And it, it's, I think it's like a betrayal of our efforts. That's how I feel. So I, of course I resent it. <laughs> um, so he is correct on that. On that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The sickness has come for me. And that was <laughs> the last bit of it. Whew. Uh, he is correct on that. I meant to say, by the way, for the uh, or now I'm all distracted by that voice crack, uh, but I'm going to leave this. Don't worry. So he's correct that Fox nation is not a user friendly site for the production of the show. I got a subscription to Fox nation so that I'm still tickled by that, that voice crack. Um, I'm sick. <laughs> Cut me some slack for the production of the show. I got a subscription to Fox nation and will go and grab content from there to talk about sometimes and just not at all a well put together site. So he's correct. And then uh, the next clip, and I'm just going to have to not do barely any commentary for this story. He's talking to someone uh, either in his earpiece or off camera. And in Tucker Carlson fashion refers to some person who's being discussed, uh, their girlfriend being yummy. Here's this. You wouldn't? Okay. I'm not, you know what? I'm not qualified on that score, I will say. I thought his girlfriend was kind of yummy. Just kidding. Just kidding. Cases being pulled off the bird. Yeah, the bird. Hey, media matters for America. Go fuck yourself. That's the first thing I want to say tonight. Second thing is, totally kidding. I don't even know what his girlfriend looks like. And if I did, I would not find her yummy. So it is strange uh, how he knew exactly who would end up finding the clip that it is now being put out there because it is Media Matters that's publicizing all this credit to them. But yeah, just uh, as I've said before, Tucker Carlson all around, on camera, off camera, just a low character guy. Then while he's having his hair touched up and stuff, he talks about not being able to gauge his own appearance and then says another statement about women. Here's this. Well, I feel great. You know, I can never I can never assess my appearance. I wait for my postmenopausal fans to weigh in on that. My IFB. Yeah, they do want to 
What? They want to control me from afar? Okay, I'm putting the leash on. You, you can... <laughs> Fuck it, we'll do it live! I got you, baby. Ugh. That's my only comment. And then the final clip we will look at is him before an interview with Piers Morgan. Uh, he is talking about, I don't know, wanting to talk about sex positions or something with Piers Morgan. Up to you. We can certainly talk about your sexual te Oh, wait, let me go back. Talk about sex, I'd love to hit some of the fine points of technique. <laughs> But you know, but it's your show. It's totally up to you. We can certainly talk about your sexual technique, especially after your tanning testicles last week. <laughs> Not mine. I, we'll, <laughs> we'll speak in more general terms, but I've got something to add. <laughs> um, so apologies to anyone who is eating and was forced to think of both the subject of sex techniques <laughs> And the subject of Tucker Carlson at the same time. I really do apologize. But there it is. The Fox tapes, as I think they're being called. Um, as I said, not a whole lot to add in terms of commentary. But just, ugh, at different moments. And somewhat interesting at uh, others. I will continue to follow these if more come out. While we're on the subject of Tucker Carlson, let's go over something sort of fun. Uh, the Lincoln Project put together a video poking fun at Tucker Carlson's firing, and it's framed in kind of an in-memoriam video type style and focuses on a bunch of absurd moments from Tucker Carlson's time as a Fox News host. I think as people who have been forced to observe in horror the terrible and dangerous rhetoric that, that Tucker Carlson has spewed for years, we deserve a little bit of an extended celebration for the fact that he's now gone. Will he have some other ventures uh, soon? Probably yes. But will it be harder for him to match the size and power of the Fox News platform? Absolutely, and that is good news for America. So here's this from The Lincoln Project. Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson have mutually agreed to part ways. Tucker's last show was this past Friday. You take a collection of dumb, desperate people in middle age, hoping to keep on to their stupid TV jobs, you add scripts and some hairspray, and they just repeat the lies for you. It was not even close to an insurrection. Nicotine frees your mind, and THC makes you compliant and passive. Testicle tanning, that's crazy. Talking to Trump is one of the great joys, one of the great animal joys. A rock is a crappy place filled with a bunch of, you know, yeah. semi-literate primitive monkeys. <laughs> Shut up, racist! Our civilization is superior. Let's pretend for a sec that our country had a news media that was interested in bringing you the news. What were these sheep doing when you apprehended them? They call you the egg hustler. Leprechauns exist not just on cereal boxes, M&M's will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character is deeply unappealing and totally androgynous. I love women, but they're extremely primitive. They're basic. I gotta go. You should stick to the thigh-high boots. You're better at that. Maybe the orange M&M is a secret sexist himself. Your mask is making me uncomfortable. Why shouldn't I root for Russia? Because Which I am. Yeah, I'm not a Putin defender, despite what you may have heard. The end of the Lincoln Project. We can all celebrate that. <laughs> <laughs> we 
We want to thank Tucker Carlson for his service to the network. I'm sorry, I just got to take a quick break mm -hmm. and go cry in a closet while squeezing a stuffed animal. Rick Wilson? Ugh. <laughs> so, so good. You know, it's interesting because with Tucker... Oh, I'm pushing through. With Tucker, uh, since this will be in a separate segment, let me remind YouTube viewers, sick voice is going away. But when your job is talking, it's rather unfortunate. Um, so with Tucker, he's either blatantly lying about something important, like his fear mongering about immigrants and perpetuating the great replacement theory, lying about January 6th, the election, etc. Or talking about something so pointless and meaningless, like his obsession with M&Ms and how he was so upset that the mascot character things were having their outfits change in a way he felt was less attractive or something which is funny considering that he had this to say as i'm about to show you in his first video since being fired the undeniably big topics the ones that will define our future get virtually no discussion at all war civil liberties emerging science demographic change corporate power natural resources when was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues it's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors. Mm, the important issues aren't discussed in mainstream media like Eminem's outfit. Why didn't you discuss the important things that are being left out of mainstream media when you were the most watched cable news host, Tucker? But truly he was and very likely could still be depending on what happens for him in the coming months one of the most dangerous figures in american politics his ability to communicate dishonest and destructive viewpoints to millions of people effectively in a sense because so many people bought into it is disturbing and clearly he had a massive impact on the network because his departure has affected their ratings very notably this is from uh, the Washington Post, Fox News experienced a significant ratings drop in the 8 p.m. hour last week after firing primetime host Tucker Carlson, while one of its much smaller conservative cable rivals appears to have benefited, at least temporarily, from viewer from the viewer migration. Carlson averaged more than 3 million total, viewer, total viewers per night from April 17th to 21st, what turned out to be his final week in that time slot. But in his uh, absence, the network averaged only 1.65 million viewers per night last week and it says that at the 8 p.m hour there's been a decline of 56 percent in viewership and in total the network has lost 45 percent of its viewership uh since tucker carlson got fired so that's the big thing that's concerning to me about this whole ordeal that fox news and fox news hosts will watch the power that tucker carlson was able to acquire over the audience and try to mimic his style i want to put it past someone like jesse waters to attempt to become a little Tucker Carlson in an attempt to see the ratings that Carlson has seen. Uh, maybe the only lesson from Tucker Carlson's firing will be, hey, maybe we try not to get into as much legal trouble and code our language just slightly more, but not throw out the whole Tucker Carlson approach to the news, uh, which is bad because I think unfortunately a lot of the Fox News audience has now been programmed, not just by Tucker, but the whole right-wing media echo chamber into such a desire for that type of propaganda that they'll demand it. And networks like Fox News and similar networks like OAN and Newsmax will chase that audience by feeding them propaganda, uh, which is disastrous. Not that <laughs> we should end on a bad note like that. So just a reminder that today 
we can be happy that at least right now Tucker Carlson doesn't have the platform to spew the garbage that he previously did. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's rough show that I could barely get through voice-wise. I appreciate you all, and we'll see you tomorrow.